Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham. Um, We are streaming live at our midweek podcast, as we always do every Thursday, 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I am super excited to have Dr. Ryan here on our show today. Um, He is going to be talking about interstitial cystitis and urinary tract health. This is something that uh, we talk about all the time at our pharmacy because uh, we do a lot of estriol vaginal cream um, for urinary tract health for women. So um, it's something I'm super excited to hear about and learn more about so I can share it with my patients. So without further ado, Dr. Here, welcome to our show. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about, let's start with interstitial cystitis and just let's define what that is. Sure. And then maybe some treatments. Sure. So interstitial cystitis or oftentimes called bladder uh, or painful bladder syndrome um, is characterized by bladder pain of you know variable severity really over a long period of time. It's more common in women. Uh, it usually happens in typically the fourth decade of life, but it can happen a little bit earlier. Um, unknown etiology, so you know, not exactly sure where it's coming from. Oftentimes, sometimes it can be due to a host of different reasons, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, but it is characterized by a lot of pain and discomfort. Um, and patients usually will report to me having a lot of bladder sensitivity, uh, pain with urination, um, even fatigue and depression due to how long this has been going on. Uh, pain with sex is very common too. And can cost a lot of uh, cost a lot of money. Um, I think last time I read that there was like sixty five point nine million dollars a year um, in healthcare cost. And so, oftentimes these patients also see multiple different providers for IC. Um, they go and you know go to different urologists, go to different pain specialists to try to identify what's been going on. A lot of tests come back negative for them. And so you know when they're doing urine cultures to see if it's a UTI comes back negative when they do cystoscopies to look inside the bladder wall comes back negative. So very complex uh, disease process um, and unfortunately results in a lot of pain for people. And so tell me about some of the treatments. Uh, do you do you dive into what's causing it possibly instead of just treating symptoms or how, how is the best, um, what's the best route to go? Yeah, great question. So um, my job really is to be kind of the detective in all of this and really try to identify what's going on. I see is oftentimes too a, a, a blanket diagnosis. Um, you sometimes get that with IBS, you know, it's like, oh, well, there's irritable bowel syndrome. You know, it's, we're not exactly sure what's going on, has some diarrhea, some, a little bit of constipation, a little bit of both. Um, I see is similar in that aspect is that it is oftentimes given uh, presumptively or prematurely sometimes. Uh, and just because they don't know exactly what's going on. And so uh, usually for the first little bit, uh, we will dive in and talk about different aspects of health. So uh, go autoimmunity has a big uh, part to play when it comes to bladder health. Um, dealing with chronic infections such as Lyme or EBV have an aspect uh, and that can also cause a lot of bladder issues as well. Uh, and then going into, you know, if it is bacterial in nature and what we're starting to find out more and more is when we do a little bit more advanced testing with these urine cultures, because your standard urine culture is okay. Um, it's not the most sensitive and specific test, but when we look at more um, advanced urine cultures, we're able to identify certain microbes and pathogens that have been 
uh, more embedded into the bladder wall, and that can be the cause uh, of a lot of these symptoms. And we're starting to see that more and more. Um, and so when it comes to treatment for embedded urinary tract infections, uh, oftentimes, you know, an oral antibiotic, a lot of times patients have been on a lot of different oral antibiotics. They've tried everything and nothing seems to work. You know, they might be on it for five or six days and then, you know, go off of it for a bit, might see some benefit. And then they usually have a lot of GI issues if they've been doing it for too long. So um, when we identify which pathogen it is, um, usually due to the nature of embedded infections, what they do is they form what's called a biofilm over top of it. So your pathogens such as Klebsiella, Pseudomonas, um, are big biofilm disruptors they form, or biofilm um, producers. And so they trap themselves inside that bladder wall and cause a lot of pain and irritation. Uh, whereas E. coli and Enterococcus, they still do form. Those are definitely the more common microbes that you see in, in urinary tract infections. They still do form biofilms, but not as much. And so when it comes to treatment side of things for the bacterial side of things, it usually is either a different herbal concoction, so whether it's uberursi, uh, corn silk, uh, cranberry, um, we're using a lot of different herbs depending on which microbe shows up, whether it's gram positive, gram negative, you know, determine the urine pH, gets into a lot of different things, but also we're using uh, things such as um, bladder installations, which are a compounded uh, antibiotic formulation that you can uh, insert through a catheter through into the bladder wall and provide um, some relief, some direct kind of approach instead of going through the GI system and causing some dysbiosis into the GI tract, we're able to hit it hard where it's at. Now, oftentimes too, I'll include an EDTA, which is a biofilm disruptor into my bladder irrigations uh, to be able to kind of break up those biofilms. So that's one aspect of it. Also use sometimes a vaginal estrogen cream uh, if we're dealing a lot with uh, dyspareunia or, or painless sex or um, you know, vaginal dryness, uh, yeah, that can be a big cause to some of these um, IC-like symptoms and can provide a lot of relief. So compounded estriol cream, which I think you guys do uh, very well, uh, is um, a great treatment option for that as, and it can oftentimes be overlooked, um, especially with a lot of different providers and can be an easy fix. So. Um, yeah, that's kind of a bulk or an overview of treatment, but there's definitely other aspects of it that you can get into. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. And you know, one thing I, when I talk to urologists, sometimes I have to remind them, you know, when they treat chronic urinary tract infections, I have to remind them about estriol vaginal cream. And, and, and one thing I'll say, it's like, well, why does this woman that's 60 some years old all of a sudden have chronic urinary tract infections? I mean, what does she lack? Why did she not have them when she was 35? Well, cause she had estrogen. So, you know, you know, and, and S trial uh, won't necessarily treat the infection, but it'll definitely help prevent them. Um, and it's just, it's a game changer for a lot of people. I, I, I honestly, I, you know, S trial vaginal cream is our number one prescription of, of everything we compound up and we ship it all over the country and traditional urologists, traditional gynecologists prescribe it. And um, I honestly think that every woman should be on some kind of topical vaginal estrogen because if they don't have bladder symptoms yet, whether it be urinary tract infections or whether it be urinary incontinence, they will eventually if they don't, if they don't use that. 
or some kind of estrogen vaginal cream. So, um, so tell me about these bladder installations, the treatment. Do they, is that a one-time treatment? Do they have to come in multiple times? How, how does that work? So I wish it was a one-time treatment. Uh, yeah. It things a lot easier. Um, but oftentimes it's not. Uh, and sometimes, so usually with the bladder irrigations, they're dosed um, depending on which formulation you have. So sometimes, you know, some pharmaceuticals work well together. Sometimes they don't and need to be compounded separately. Um, and then depending too on whether you have you know, gram positive only or gram negative only and then susceptibility from each antibiotic to which microbe it is. So with that, you usually will dose um, twice a day. Uh, so uh, you have like 30 milliliter syringes and you can do those twice a day. And um, you do it for two weeks. And then after those two weeks, I reassess and see kind of where we're at. We're starting to see some real benefit. I might extend those out to a maximum of four weeks. I usually don't go over that. Uh, and then we retest and kind of see where, where we're at as far as the microbe load. Um, if we're still experiencing symptoms, if we still have some microbes, then we will do the, the bladder irrigation again. Uh, sometimes I have people on bladder irrigations that do them 10, 20 times. It's just really bad and bad infections. And I see people that have had these for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and so they can be yeah, and we're, we do see progress over that period of time. So we know that we're getting rid of those bacteria, but it just can be very problematic. Um, and so, yeah, but usually the, the first go-to dosage is twice a day um, for two weeks. That's kind of how I dose those. So it sounds like you've done this quite a few times. You haven't really been practicing that long, like five years, I believe. So, yeah. and interstitial cystitis is... I'm not going to say it's rare, and you're definitely going to say it's not rare because you see a lot of them. Right. Um, how did you get into this? Yeah, so my uh, I've got some family members that have dealt with some chronic uh, bladder infections, and um, having that kind of as a motivating factor for when I had one patient reach out to me and said, hey, I've been dealing with this thing for a long period of time. Um, I have been doing some research on my own, uh, encountered some different providers. I just wanted to know if you could look into it a little bit more. And so having that family history um, really kind of sparked my interest in it and doing more deep dive into it uh, really saw that there was a big area of need uh, with a patient population that really has been overlooked for the most part. And um, unfortunately, it's, you know, they've seen multiple different providers and either get overlooked or um, get diagnosed with just chronic pain syndrome or fibromyalgia and said, hey, you just have to kind of deal with this. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that's really how I, I got involved in it was really just a one patient and then family history of, of having chronic bladder infections and running the family. So, so is there anything after treatment and you kind of get the bacteria eliminated? Um, is there anything as far as lifestyle or diet that somebody can um, do routinely to prevent the problem? Absolutely. So when we try to replenish that microbiome, that's been, um, usually not only hit with the long-term antibiotic use, but uh, to prevent any microbes from regrowing into that area, 
obviously hygiene is, is number one, you know, making sure that they proper, practice proper hygiene, making sure that they have a good diversity of diet. So not only adding probiotics, but prebiotic foods um, can be very important. And you know, a lot of studies have been showing that you know, the more diversity that you have in your diet, the better. Uh, there definitely are some trigger foods, so some of those more citrus-related um, foods can be triggers for some people. Alcohol can be very a big trigger for that inflammatory nature side of things. Um, and so identifying food triggers can be helpful, but oftentimes, too, with food triggers comes GI issues. So making sure that you have your GI system um, managed well, making sure that your inflammatory you know, uh, level is low and then making sure that your hormone levels are in check. Um, and so oftentimes I will run uh, more advanced you know, hormone testing. And so uh, Dutch, and I don't, I'm not paid by anyone, so I don't have any disclosures, but yeah. um, you know, Dutch is a good hormone test that looks at you know, your estrogen levels, your progesterone, testosterone, DHEA, cortisol. And so I, that will help me to identify if there is a certain hormonal um, deficiency and especially if you're a person that will take testosterone and move it into say estrone the more harmful form of estrogen instead of the estriol or the estradiol then that can help me to correct that and so um you know it's a very comprehensive approach because oftentimes with these patients if they just go back to normal then you know I see them uh, later on and say like oh I've been dealing with this again so um yeah. Well, and, and our whole goal, you know, in my opinion, unfortunately, the traditional healthcare system is not this way. They just nice. treat disease and treat disease and treat disease. But my my goal um, is to actually, you know, not just treat because sometimes you have to, but help prevent that disease. Nice. Um, you know, so we're not just constantly, you know, taking care of sick patients. We want to keep them well. Right. 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 And the preventative side of things is, you know, that's. That's the key is to try to prevent it from happening in the first place. And and with chronic disease and with preventive disease, you're right. It's just not something that is oftentimes focused in on, on the traditional conventional medical care. But hey, that's what we're trying to change. That's right. That's right. That's why we're talking about this, right? Yeah. Um, so prebiotic and probiotic foods. So you being a naturopath, you're an expert in this area. I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> Give us some examples of uh, prebiotic and probiotic foods. Yeah. So prebiotics uh, can, I mean, there's a lot of different prebiotic rich foods. A lot of vegetables and fruits and stuff fall within that. Um, you know, even different spices and, and everything can fall within those prebiotic foods. And when we think of prebiotic, we're trying to provide the, um, the biome, you know, the biome with the, the tools that it needs to build a healthy biome. And so uh, when you're talking about vegetables, you know, different like asparagus, broccoli, cauliflower, um, red peppers, green peppers, you know, those things can be prebiotics. When you get into the probiotics, it's more providing like, okay, these are actual probiotics that have been fermented in food. So with those are usually like your sauerkraut, your kimchi. Um, kombucha, low sugar. I prefer low sugar kombucha. Yeah. Um, and uh, kefir, which is drinkable yogurt. Um, pickles even have some probiotic properties. But those are more the probiotic side of things. Um, you know, having too many probiotics can definitely cause some gas and irritation. So I, I try to make people do more of the prebiotic, give them the fuel. Um, mm -hmm. And there's even a 
and I won't get into this too much, but postbiotic, and it's a whole different world that's kind of being researched on right now. But um, those prebiotic and probiotic foods are, are definitely crucial when it comes to maintaining and cultivating a good microbiome. Well, we might have to do another show on uh, postbiotics because yes. uh, I I like the education on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, you spoke of you said it. So you said low sugar. Mm-hmm. You kind of believe in low sugar kombucha, and I get asked about kombucha, and I'm a believer in kombucha. One thing I always, uh, not always, but you know, one thing I do warn um, people about is that you know, it, kombucha does. If it's just regular kombucha, it does have sugar in it, and so you got to worry about the not just issues with sugar that can cause, but also it has extra calories. So, you know, drinking you know a lot of kombucha could add up your calories, and if it is sugar, um, it, you know, it can cause some problems. So, speaking of sugar and urinary tract health, mm-hmm. how, how does that go hand in hand? Sugar can cause a lot of inflammation, um, and sugar is fuel for bacteria. And so when we are thinking of embedded infections, that bacteria will take that sugar and, and kind of help to um, you know, grow. And so uh, not only is it causing irritation to that bladder wall, um, you know, to the, the bladder epithelium really in general, uh, but you know, excess sugar in the blood and in the urine can cause um, different aspects of the immune system to become uh, more inflammatory, and so that those blood vessels that, that supply the bladder epithelium will also become irritated, uh, and then um, so you get a little bit of both. You get unfortunately some bacterial growth, and then you get some inflammation that happen that makes the symptoms appear worse than they are. So uh, sugar is definitely not a friend when it comes to bladder IC and to chronic bladder infections. Well, and we think about. The ultimate case of that, it's with diabetes, right? Um, you know, and, you know, diabetics have a big problem with um, sugar in their urine. I mean, diabetes mellitus, which is, you know, the common form of diabetes that we hear about, um, you know, literally diabetes means um, siphon, mellitus means honey. So it literally means you are siphoning out honey. You are peeing out honey is literally what it means from, I think, Greek. Um and, you know, as we know, diabetics have a, an issue with, a, a, you know, a lot of urinary tract type issues because of that. Yeah. Yeah. And with diabetics, you, know, you start to have those microbes that you don't usually see, like fungus and um, clep, you know, is one that really can show up. You know, the abnormal infections come up with diabetics, which makes it even harder to treat. Uh, so that's why it's even more important to really focus in on on increasing your fiber content because fiber helps to pull that sugar in and and use it properly um, and lower just your sugar load in general. Um, right. But avoiding sugar-rich foods uh, is is definitely important. So one thing I was thinking about um, as a pharmacist, Jan and I, we uh, you know we're talking about diabetes mellitus and sugar in the urine. And um, there's actually a drug that was developed, Jardius. I'm just going to say mm-hmm. the brand name because that's what most people know it as. And I remember when it was developed and we, we heard the mechanism that it, you know, it basically helped you pee out sugar. Mm-hmm. So it made your urine really concentrated in sugar. And we're like, I mean, you know, think about the disease by diabetes mellitus. That's a, that's a problem. 
Yeah. Yet, you know, we have a blood glucose number that we want to lower. So we give a drug to help them pee out the sugar. And lo and behold, it causes all kinds of urinary tract infections. Um, and it's not fixing the problem. I mean, right. the problem is carbohydrates. <laughs> You're eating too much sugar, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a temporary fix. And, you know, right. that will make the lab values appear a little bit normal. And so, you know, your A1C will go down for a little bit. Um, but that underlying mechanism as to why it happened in the first place is not being addressed. And so you will become insulin dependent. You know, you'll have further complications, you know, deal with chronic infection, which causes a lot of inflammation. Then you get into like, well, what is inflammation doing to your heart, your brain, your lungs? Right. Your and so it's, it is a temporary fix for a long-term solution, which again, it's like, Hey, if it, you know, a lot of these studies look at patient outcomes within like, you know, three to six months, maybe a year. And so if you're looking at more longevity studies, you can see actually, I don't know if it provides that much more benefit. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely something that short-sighted, but you know, Hey, let's get those numbers looking great. And then that makes us feel good. Um, uh, right. I mean, that, that's kind of the way our healthcare system works in general right. is, you know, we put a Band-Aid on a bullet hole and right. it's not really fixing the problem. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I like working with doctors like yourself, because you get to the underlying cause and want to fix the problem instead of just treating symptoms. And, you know, sugar in the urine is just a symptom of diabetes. It's not really treating, like you say, the underlying cause, which, and then all the complications that come along with it. And like you say, outcomes are, you know, the, the damage is done over years. And most people aren't diagnosed with diabetes until 10, 15 years post-fact. Um, so there's been a lot of damage done in the meantime. So um, that's why it's important to, you know, know go to a doctor that looks at, you know, underlying causes and knows how to dive deep into it instead of just treating a number, right? Yeah. And that's what we're starting to try to really push on a more global scale is that preventative side of things. Because yes, a hemoglobin A1C will be able to detect blood sugar over a three-month period of time, right? And so, you know, the ranges for that you know, for the pre-diabetes based off of what normal labs say was 5.7 to 6.4 is that pre-diabetes and then 6.5 and above is uh, diabetes. And so, but what we're starting to find out is that hemoglobin A1C is is sometimes uh, we're catching a little bit too late. And so when we're even getting to that 5.5, 5.6, 5 5.7, we're fighting uphill, so to speak. And so making sure that you know your insulin levels, you know, seeing what the insulin um, is, making sure that you're looking at your you know, like overall cholesterol, so your triglycerides specifically that are more focused on you know, sugar, making sure that you're, um, you're looking at your blood pressure, kidney function. Those things are important so we can help to identify things that might be warning signs. Um, and obviously talking to each individual patient about your diet, your exercise, your lifestyle, all those things that are so crucial and oftentimes the hardest things to fix, but can be also the more most rewarding things long-term. Right. Um, so yeah, it's identifying the, the precursors to it and not catching it when it's like, Oh, we're, we're, we're too late. So, well, I'm glad you brought that up and I was going to actually ask you about insulin because <laughs> I think that's a better one to check, honestly, because yeah. um, 
there's a lot of people walking around with pre-diabetes or normal glucoses. And you can just look at them, Dr. Here, and it's like, they're not metabolically healthy. I mean, th this can't be. And if you look at their insulin level, their pancreas is still responding for now. Yeah. So, you know, their pancreas is still working. So it's, it's putting out a lot of insulin. And you look at their insulin level and it's probably sky high. Yeah. Um, and, and insulin is a, I think insulin resistance is one of the most damaging thing, you know, as far as inflammation and cardiovascular, um, effects long-term, I think insulin is a problem, um, high insulin. Um, and I think that's should be, I think it should be more routine to check an insulin level than a glucose level. Now, speaking of our traditional healthcare system, most people will say, well, you know, insurance companies don't cover an insulin level, you know, which is just incredible to me. <laughs> um, and we haven't really found a, until that happens, it's probably not going to be routine, but here's what I tell my patients. Don't let an insurance company dictate your health. Pay cash for an insulin level. Who cares what your insurance company says? It's worth knowing. Yeah. And that's honestly one of the reasons why I transitioned my practice to being a non-insurance model is because I was getting poor reimbursements for even, you know, my work. And so, um, and then when I would be running patient, you know, running labs for patients that were looking at insulin levels and they would be running it through their insurance and, getting these huge astronomical bills for labs that shouldn't cost that much at all. I was like, well, there has to be a better way to do this. And so um, the way that my practice operates is yeah, kind of outside of that. And so, you know, this is, won't get into too much of it, but you know, members no, please of please share this. I love yeah, it. So, okay. You know, so, yeah, members of my practice, you know, uh, which is crossroads integrated medicine, um, get access to the pricing that I get. And so, the labs will uh, they will give pricing based off of um, you as a client, or they'll give a patient pricing, and then they'll have an insurance pricing. And so the client pricing, which is my pricing, is oftentimes the lowest. Well, I don't. I want patients to be able to access that. I want patients to be able to because that ultimately is going to be better for their care. We can remove the obstacles. I mean, they're paying usually with their deductibles. Um, hundreds and hundreds of dollars of yeah, every paycheck essentially right. to get care that is okay well that shouldn't be the case and so when you become you know a member of my practice you get what i get and so there's going to be you know an insulin for me and i'll have to look up exactly but it might cost me 20 bucks to run whereas i was going to guess 20 bucks right yeah and whereas you run it through insurance it's going to be 200 you know it's going to yeah. be something that's way more than that and like vitamin d for example and unfortunately a patient that reached out to me after after they ran it and said hey this vitamin d cost me 250 dollars and i'm like you gotta be kidding me it cost me 16 dollars to run the vitamin d there's no way that it should cost you that much and so you know when we're thinking a preventative side of medicine these labs oftentimes can be life-saving. And so why should patients have to jump through all these different hoops, haggle with their insurance providers, haggle with their doctors to order these tests um, that are dictated by the insurance companies? Why don't they have access to them? And so there are some places where you can order like any lab test now, Ulta Labs, you can order you know, labs as an individual, but without any proper guidance, you, kind of not knowing exactly what to do with it. Right. And then when you get the results, you know, an in insulin, for example, the range for that, I think 
is a lot higher than what it should be. And so like when I see insulin above five, above 10, I'm like, oh, well, that's actually, we need to look at that. That's something that's not, shouldn't be ignored. Yes, it falls within the normal range, but it's gives us a little bit of clues as to what's going on. And so ultimately that's what my practice is trying to do. And that's what a lot of different practices are kind of transitioning towards um, is moving to make it patient-centered care, essentially, you know, just trying to be as as cheesy as it sounds, but really just give the patients what they actually need without having to pay a huge price for something that is giving them subpar care. So, Well, we realized it, my wife and I at Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy, we realized it 20 plus years ago that insurance was a ripoff. Yeah. So we st- we stopped bill insurance over 20 years ago and we were called crazy. And in, in, and in reality, and there were people, including employees and, and family and friends that, well, you guys aren't going to be able to stay in business. And my colleagues, um, in reality, we were kind of pioneers because, you know, fast forward 20 years and there's a lot of people following in our footsteps saying, you know, cash is the way to go because why? Patients get a better price, a better service. And better quality, period. I will argue that till I'm blue in the face. I don't care what any corporate healthcare, any hospital wants to say that their quality is better, you know, because it's, you know, that's why it's more expensive. No, that's a lie. Um, and being having a third party in between us and the patient, as you know, just makes things more expensive, more complicated. So, and really, healthcare, routine healthcare, like you and I provide, you know, for routine, non-emergent TC type, big stuff is very, very inexpensive if you shop around for it. Right. It is. It's very inexpensive. And, and I think people are starting to realize this more and more is that better quality preventative, you know, just your standard healthcare routine checkups, the better that is, the less likely you're going to have to do those emergent healthcare right. costs. And so, you know, saving money in the long run, if you're thinking about it, like it is a billion times more worth doing the cash, you know, just you know, paying for better quality healthcare in the meantime. And with, instead of having subpar care that's dictated by insurance companies, it's, you know, the doctors have to go through all these different prior authorizations yeah. just to get right. you to get uh, insurance coverage for one medication that costs like $15 if you bought a cash. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Right, it's, right. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm glad that you're not playing the game anymore. I, I, that, that's part of the solution yeah. is for us to educate and empower individuals to take charge of their own health. Um, and then, you know, healthcare professionals not playing the game. Um, you know, I had a, I had a direct primary care doctor tell us one time on the podcast that the only way to change the system he thought was to get out of the system. And in some ways I agree with that. There's always going to be that other system. That's fine. I just don't want to be in it as a, as a healthcare professional or a, or a patient, you know, I will seek other alternatives. So I actually wrote a book about it and being a guest on our show, you will get a copy of our, of, of the book. It's called, yeah, it's called sick and how the government ruined healthcare and how to fix it. And in, in chapter six, there's a six step solution. And at the very top, I have a little quote for me that said, um, you know, the best health insurance we have, and you kind of alluded to this, the best health insurance we have is not some kind of policy that we can buy. Mm-hmm. It's how we take care of ourselves in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. That's the best health insurance we can have, you know, and we just have to, you know, we have to educate people about that, that, you know, health insurance is is not 
taking care of your health. That's for sure. They do not care about that at all. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's just, it's, it's sad. And a lot of, and the, the one aspect of health insurance that has been very hard for some patients is, you know, some patients can't afford to get good quality health care. And, and I think that's a point that has to always be recognized Yeah, and that they are reliant on the health insurance model. And so, um, working out, you know, from the outside through direct primary care, there definitely needs to be that aspect. But yeah, I would hope that eventually some people on the inside can, can start to see those, um, those faults and deficiencies. And, and, you know, that's essentially what naturopathic medicine is trying to do in a lot of different states is, you know, when I was practicing in Oregon, primarily as a resident, we were in the insurance care model. We were able to see patients that were on Medicaid and, um, and were able to provide a little bit more comprehensive care than they were used to. And, uh, and so it was beneficial. It's hard. It's very hard because yeah. you have to deal with a lot with, you know, as a resident, I was on the phone every day with com- insurance companies trying to get prior authorization for patients, trying to get certain medications or imaging approved that were routines. Like, come on, like this has to be like, why am I wasting my time doing right. that? Um, but, you know, there is a, an area for that, you know, for patients. And so basically what I'm trying to say is, you know, it needs to be in the current model that despite just tearing it all down and just doing straight cash base, but in the current model, there needs to be some, this kind of care accessible for everyone. And so, um, you know, whether that's getting people that are more of that holistic functional medicine kind of minded um, to and more legislative you know, support on state by state basis. I mean, here in Indiana, naturopathic doctors aren't recognized quite yet. We're in that pre-licensure stage, um, but we actually just were awarded a grant from the AANP, which is the Naturopathic Association, um, on the global scale for helping to promote legislation in Indiana. So, there's we're we're making improvements. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, you know, we've got some, some room to grow. And, and even if insurance was open for the state of Indiana, I just have been, I just see patients that just do not improve in that model. So right. I don't know if I'll ever really even move to that point. But it, yeah. it, It's kind of a sick care model. I mean, right. it really is. And, you know, with the way insurance companies and big pharma are kind of in a cartel together and the government kind of allows it or does allow it, um, I just... I'm kind of pessimistic and I'm not holding my breath for the government to come in and fix it. So, you know, I, I appreciate doctors like yourself that are still given good quality care for, for, um, you know, at a valuable price. So yeah, I think that's, what's important. So as we wrap this podcast up, um, tell us what your passion is. Oh man. How many passions do I have? Many. Um, (laughs) I mean, outside of medicine, you know, I'm obviously passionate about, you know, well, with medicine, it's just, you know, this chronic bladder, IC, embedded infections, that really is a huge passion of mine um, because I think that it pulls in so many different aspects of healthcare, it really allows me as a naturopathic physician to be very comprehensive, you know, looking at the GI, looking at autoimmune, looking at uh, even cardiovascular, which cardiovascular is another passion of mine. Um, it, so 
that has been able to really open up a lot of doors and allow me to hear a lot of patient stories and, and provide a lot of good care to patients. So there's that passion. Um, outside of that, so I uh, have a new four-month-old baby, and she mm. definitely has occupied all of our lives, and we love her um, and love it. But uh, just recently um, did my first full Ironman in Chattanooga. And that was congratulations awesome. on the baby Thank and you. the Iron Man. Thank you. <laughs> I would say that my wife would probably say that the baby's definitely more, the more challenging aspect of that. <laughs> um, but you know, being in Indiana, you know, being you know able to go bike in the fall. I'm staring outside my window right now and see the fall weather. That's uh, I can't wait to to go out and and keep training and keep doing stuff uh, on the bike and swim and run and everything. So. That's a big passion of mine. Um, and then can't wait for basketball season. I love love basketball. <laughs> yeah, it's preseason starting just now or something, I think. Yeah, preseason first NBA, game I don't yesterday. Know. So, yeah. yeah, college yeah. starts a little bit later. But yeah. uh, we were just watching a special on the uh, on Hulu on the history that of the L.A. Lakers. Not the whole mm-hmm. history, but basically since uh, Jerry Buss, Boos, yeah. Buss took over. Buss, yeah. Interesting. If you get a chance, if you're a real basketball fan, especially a Lakers fan, it's interesting to watch for yeah. sure. Can't stand the Lakers, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> the you're 2000, they are you started a championship away from Reggie Miller and the Pacers. So, Oh, they, that's true, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, Dr. Here, thank you for being on today. Tell us how to get a hold of you. So um, you can reach me by my website, crossroadsintegrative.com. Um, that is honestly the easiest way. If you want to shoot me an email, it's Dr. Ryan at crossroadsintegrative.com, or you can give us a call at 317-426-7557. Um, but that's usually the best way. I'm not super great with social media. So if you try to contact me through Facebook, no Instagram, might take a while. <laughs> But reach out um, and, yeah, look us look us up and see what we have to offer. Sounds good. Well, thank you for being on today. You definitely helped us realize our goal of educating and empowering patients to take charge of their own health. So thank you so much. Uh, thank listeners you. and viewers. Thank you, Dr. Here. Thank you, listeners and viewers, for tuning in today. Tune in Monday, our regularly scheduled podcast, Monday, 1230 to 1.30, uh, right here on my personal Facebook page, LinkedIn, and my Twitter, and a Mosley Professional Pharmacy YouTube site, 1230 to 1. We will have Leah uh, Strike on our show, and she's going to talk about her story about how and why she got into functional medicine. You might want to tune into that one, Dr. Here. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Yeah. So thanks, everyone, for tuning in today. Really appreciate you guys. Uh, We will see you Monday.